Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Yes, indeed. This is The Real Estate Show on CCO. If you have any kind of a real estate question for Chris or Andy or both, call it in or text it in. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. Hi, you guys. Good to see you. I uh, see you survived Halloween. We did. We We did. did. And and Mr. Prasky's been studying. You should have seen he sent me a Snapchat on Halloween night, Mm -hmm. and he is a decorator among Top decorators. It's kind of a fun. You go all all out on oh, yeah. Halloween. Yeah, I enjoy Halloween. I <laughs> make sure that the the uh, even though my kids are a little older, they all still appreciate the old carve uh, carve the pumpkin kind of as a family. And we do everybody does one kind of a little competition, and then we toast up the old uh, pumpkin seeds and have some fun. We do a little bit of everything. I, right. I, I've always enjoyed it. I think know? this was the the most people I've seen in probably ten years out for Halloween. Yep, like going to houses. Mm. I couldn't believe I, it. I had our, our neighborhood was packed. Kids. I counted 150. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so we. I keep. Do you going. normally get that? Yeah, because oh. I'm pretty generous with the candy. I always yeah, give I out the that. big stuff, and <laughs> yep. so um, I, I have a pretty good audience. Well, even though I'm in a little cul-de-sac, because you know I was talking to a lady at the when I was buying the candy, she goes, "You know, I gave away the good stuff too," and she goes, "I just don't get the same amount of kids." And it's I, these kids strategize. They run the stats. I swear, they look down the street and they go, "Okay, there's only two houses with the lights on. Yeah, it's not worth two candy bars. Let's keep moving down to the busy street." You know, and it's true. <laughs> it's a method to their madness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, how was the week in real estate though? Besides uh, Halloween, well, pretty exciting. You know, the uh, Fed dropped for the third time yeah. this year interest rates, which you know doesn't directly um, you know hit mortgage rates, but it influences them over time, and so it's a real interesting. Um, you know, situation we're in, we have, uh, you know, kind of going into the fall, they're, they're still telling us that there's a lack of inventory. Um, we've, we've run some reports here that are, that are showing that in Minneapolis, that's a little different than the rest of the country. We're actually kind of on the opposite end of the scale where our inventory is up 15% year over year versus. I haven't heard like, that for a while. Yeah, exactly. So that's where you hear Chris and I saying things like we're, we feel like it, we're going back into a buyer's market because more people are listing their houses um, compared to like California where their housing is down, like in San Diego specifically, their housing is down inventory wise, like 20%. And wow. same thing in like Florida, Arizona, they're down like 17% and 6%, I think in Arizona. And, and it kind of goes back to our story from last week, talking about people moving to where it's warm. I think that's part of the demand on those warmer cities. It's good timing for them to go too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get there. But I, that also bodes well, I think for our economy when, uh, when the coasts are doing it, it usually kind of comes back, and I, I still think we're gonna be we're gonna be okay. But we've just kind of hit a little slowdown here. Okay. Sure. All so, right. so I know uh, we were talking about Halloween, and, and last week we were talking about ghosts, and uh, I got a few comments last <laughs> week about, are you serious? Did that happen and stuff like that? But about uh, your story, yeah, I've got a, I've had a, f- a f- few of them, few stories, and uh, they're true. But we talked about them because it, it came up. Um, after the next day at an open house, and uh, I was like, "Oh my god, we were just talking about that." But anyways, um, people are not um, as afraid to live in a haunted house as we might think. Yeah, you know we. So you know me, Danny. I had to run some numbers on this because I was like, "Do people really believe in this stuff?" You know, 
And uh, so we, we ran a report. Um, this was uh, showing us a, a survey of – it ended up being only like 1,500 people. But the state that was the least – or that believes in supernatural the least is the state of Arizona. The most was Oklahoma. So like 67% of the people in Oklahoma believe there's ghosts. And in Arizona, only 14% of the people believe there's ghosts. And that's the – isn't Arizona where they have all the ghost towns and all that stuff? <laughs> that's yeah. true. Minnesota's 31%. Tombstone. Yeah. But they said now, now what were the percentages of the people that were surveyed that would buy a house that was haunted, that was openly you know, identified as haunted? 3%. It would only affect 3% of the people in Pennsylvania. But in Florida – 39% of the people would not buy the house because it was considered to be haunted. Yeah. Um, same thing as if the house had a murder. Florida was the highest with 32% of the people would not buy the house. Um, and then with is it near a cemetery, it was 47% of the people in Florida. They, they dominated that category for being oh. a little superstitious, which I found to be interesting. Now, uh, what was I going to ask you about that? Um <laughs> Weird uh, facts. I don't know. That's I thought we were talking about real estate. These no, are those trivial you, pursuit questions you might get asked someday. So but you can I take it that you don't believe, but Chris does in 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 the. You know, I don't know. I you know the thing is is maybe it's because I haven't had a close enough of an experience with something like that. But I generally don't. I mean, I, yeah. I sit there and think it's just a series of coincidences coincidences that we allow ourselves to believe are happening because of something. Yeah. But that's me. And see, and I've yeah. been told I've been wrong too. Yeah. No, never. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just had three or four instances and uh, kind of been confirmed by other people that felt the same thing. So uh-huh. I've, uh, I, I don't think it's uh, crazy to think that. Well, we, I took a picture inside of a barn not too long ago and um, somebody, there were the, in the picture, there was actually these orbs and someone says, oh my gosh, those are spirits in the barn. Those are, you know, kind of the haunted spirits floating in the, and they're caught on camera. And I says, no, that's the you have the, uh, the the camera screwed up with the way you're focusing. It doesn't have enough light in there, and it creates these <laughs> orbs that are actually. <laughs> and oh my gosh! And then I said, "Oh my god, I'm arguing over the same thing we argued over last week." <laughs> and the reason, if you're just tuning in, yeah, to the real estate show, we're talking about haunted houses. We just got on that kick because it was going to be Halloween. Absolutely, that's all. Yeah, but now there we was, just experienced it. Well, and there were some interesting facts. So there's ways that you can avoid buying a house like that. So what we did too is we did a little research on that, and there's. Um, information state disclosure in Minnesota, for example, they don't tell you. I mean, so they don't have to. They don't have to disclose paranormal activity. So that's not a way in but which. But they to do f- have find to out. disclose what material fact, and they do have to in crime. So now here's here's the difference. Now this is where I think that there's a gray area. Let's say that I don't believe in ghosts, and Chris does believe in ghosts, and I move into the house, and there's somebody says, "Well, you know that the house you bought is haunted." That would disturb maybe Chris versus like me. I'm like, no, it's not. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? So to him, that material fact would be very, you know, relevant versus somebody that, I don't know. I don't know what the interpretation is. I'm fine with them if they're nice. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think the other thing, I mean, if, if, if you're afraid of that, I mean, and I'll tell you, I always talk to sellers about this. If there's there's always, there's two things people always want to know. They want to know how long it's been on the market and Mm -hmm. why are the sellers moving? You know, and uh, that if that motivation has been shared outside of your household or mm-hmm. uh, away from you, it's more than likely gotten around and probably oh, yeah. gotten around the neighborhood. So the best way to maybe find that out is to do a walk around that neighborhood and just right. talk to people. That, that was actually say, hey, one of my you know tips about too. That? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Talk to the na- they'll tell, they'll squeal. They love to tell the stories. You know, oh, you know what happened, and then they tell everything. But they 
You know, another thing is when you look at the home's history, like you're doing the math on it, you're like, wow, this is a $500,000 house. Why are they selling it for two fifty? A lot of times those are key indicators, too, to do a little more research on the back end. Um, or it sells a bunch of times. Right. You know, like it sells every other year. <laughs> you know, people are trying to get out of there. Yeah. I mean, truly, there is. I've, I know of one of those that it happened, and it was almost the exact scenario that you're saying. It's like, oh, yeah. my gosh, this is too good to be true. Right. And the rumor is, is, hey, this house is haunted. But people are like, well, gosh, it's too good of a deal. And then they kind of keep coming in and, and, and leaving. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think some of that stuff kind of gets in your head and you start thinking about it. And then, you know, you hear a, a mouse move and uh-huh. you, you think it's a grandpa or something. Well, so one of my clients years ago, Denny, gave me this website. And they charge you, I think it's $12 or $15 or whatever it is per. It's called diedinhouse.com. And it runs a report that has the death of the address of in, in all details, causes of death, reports of fire incidents, uh, registered sex offenders that have lived in the house, Names of associated people that have lived in the house, deceased information, property information, um, you know, uh, any meth activity, any sex offenders. Again, so there's there's what is that, that site? It's called death or excuse me, diedinhouse.com. They do charge you per search per address. But uh, one of my homeowner buyers that we're way back, she would every time we'd come up to the point where we were ready to write off or she'd run the report. And she was always felt like she was wasting her money because these reports would come back clean. But. Some of the reports, if it ever had something, I'm sure you'd appreciate being able to find that because there's there's not a lot of uniform um, places that you can go to find information out that's think to that's that true. level. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, that's what, that was my question was about disclosure, at least in Minnesota, what what you could or can can or don't have to disclose, given. Uh, but you, have to, disclo- or, you yeah. have to disclose a murder, a crime, but uh, crime. not yep. suicide or paranormal activity, or if someone died of a disease or something. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. All right. Let's uh, take this break and uh, we'll rejoin the spirit world when we come back. <laughs> or some design trends, one or the other. Or design trends. Maybe, right. yeah. Could be both. You have a real estate question. It doesn't have to be about haunted houses. 651-989-9226 or send a text. Same number, 651-989-9226. It's the Real Estate Show here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to The Real Estate Show here on 830 WCCO. If you have that kind of a question, call it in or text it in. I said it's the same number, 651-989-9226. And if you're just joining us, we were talking about, uh, Andy has some statistics about uh, haunted houses, people wanting them, not wanting them uh, in various states, yes, no. Uh, Jonathan, you had a question about suicide, I believe. Yes, uh, there was a caller that called in and asked, uh, what about if someone committed a suicide in some part of the house, the attic, the basement, something of that nature? Do Does this have to get disclosed? Uh, is there an effect on the sale of the house? Yeah, I mean, I you don't have to disclose that. I mean, and that's totally up to the seller in which to be able to do that. Yeah, and you, Chris and I have both have had you know enough of that where in the past you, you concern yourself with values and you concern yourself with whatever – um, I, I think that that's subjective to the property. I think it's subjective to what happens. It's you know, but it's a lot of times it's nobody else's business. So if you sell a house, for an example, almost like you were an investor and said, you know, here's the situation: we want to sell this house. You put it up for sale. There's you know, there's ways around it. I think too, where it doesn't have to be the focus of the sale. Yeah, and if you're like you said, if you're concerned about that, and you have that that website, you know, you can go to that, or you can check with the local police department too if you're concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, during whatever before your inspection, um, smart to do if that if it's a concern for you. Uh, how about design trends? We can we can kind of fight over these. <laughs> I think we're going to because uh, they're saying in 2020 one of the design trends 
is, uh, and I have to ask our designer friends, but uh, high gloss kitchen cabinetry. Hmm. You think so? <laughs> Yuck. I mean, yeah, uh, I, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but that's one of the design trends. And I just, uh, that kind of surprises me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been seeing a lot of color uh, be, being added now, but um, I don't know about the glossy. Well, they, they, you know, also were kind of talking that trend of having not the entire kitchen be glossy, but having just like the hood or the island or something like that have that splash where it adds the element of texture or the shine that adds that element of yeah. something different than just a color. It actually adds a little bit of something to it um, was the, I think, the gist behind it. But they say that's something that we're going to start seeing more in 2020. Yeah, and they're saying the, the fifth wall, which I kind of like that saying that's the ceiling. Um, it's kind of doing stuff on the ceiling, so that's just not a flat like, ceiling. Like what? Like wood beams, or um, there's people that will do like a shiplap feel on it, mm-hmm. um, do soffits, mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of giving some more intrigue to the ceilings, but well, a lot or, of wooden beams. Or even just, you know, it. like we, we've talked about this like in a lot of smaller rooms, Denny, like the bathrooms or whatever, where they'll take the popcorn ceiling, they knock it flat, and they'll literally have like a nice smooth ceiling so that it can be painted. But, I mean... You have to be really good at doing your mud work when you're, you know, having a flat ceiling, especially if it's shiny, uh, you know, because then that is going to show every imperfection. Oh, you're going to spend a lot yeah. of time making that flat. So I hear all the the uh, the drywall professionals listening to the show, you know, cringing, thinking, oh, boy, because, you know, the callbacks, the nail pops, the whatevers. There's a reason why builders use flat paint is because it's the easiest to hide the imperfections. And it and also does up. in the touch ups. You got it. Yeah. Yep. And then the other one, the other design trend is brass accents. We thought we kinda, were done with like, that in the nineties. Kind of like your jewelry, <laughs> it's a, my necklace <laughs> with, with the clock. Yeah, yeah. The, no, you're right though. I think that that's an interesting. Was that kind of a nineties thing? Did you say? Oh, for sure. Because I like shiny I, I like brass. brass. You like brass? I, shiny brass. Did. This is more antique in an brass older, now. In an older house, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, okay. Like chandelier, brass chandelier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The nineties were white uh, appliances and white countertops with brass with the the golden oak. You know, that was kind of what <laughs> sure. we saw a ton of yeah. in the nineties. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, the way that they're using this is they're really, you know, something as simple as accenting, like, for an example, they'll have the light fixtures on the island yeah. where they'll have the gold or the antiqued bra- uh, bronze, and then they'll actually do, like, their bar stools, and then that's the accent. You know, so sure. it's, not, it's not overwhelming anything. It's just accenting. Sense. And I think you could do that with any of the different colors that are out there right now. You could have some fun with, you know, even going back to, like, a, like I see a lot of right now, chrome again, um, where it's literally the shiny uh, silver chrome. I thought that was out. You know, I mean, that used to be the basic entry-level product, and now I have people requesting it for bathrooms and kitchens, and it's come back, too. But I think in anything, if if there's too much, it's not going to be good. It's got to be accents. Accent, and, then, yeah. and people put everything together. I mean, it's less is more. Absolutely. I mean, the, yeah. the wood floors, the white cabinets with uh, cherry uh, vanities. Uh, but I can't, uh, I can't picture beams. a real high-gloss cabinetry in the kitchen. I know. For some reason. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'd have to see it. Well, and depending on your lighting, More it would become, you know, a reflection issue. Oh, I mean, yeah. if you have a lot of can lights, the can lights, like a lot of people will do is they'll place them in the walking paths, and now you're going to have a shiny spot in your cabinet, which I don't know. Maybe it'll be cool. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. All right, text messages. I live in a 40-apartment, three-story condominium. When selling our unit, do we need to complete a seller disclosure of the condition of the unit to prospective buyers? Does the management company have to offer any condition of building disclosure and at what point? Mm. Um, yeah, if you whatever you know about that unit, you do have to disclose that uh, to a potential purchaser. What happens is there's a, the uh, association 
gives out a resale transfer disclosure statement. And that's a, that's a lot about, um, you know, what repairs they've done, what kind of uh, money they have in reserves and what they're planning on doing. And, uh, and then you also give them all the association documents. And so on that, most likely, I mean, a buyer is going to be able to find out, you know, what's happened over the years because they're going to see all those notes. And they have – and this, I think this is a, another piece and a lot of people don't know this. But um, so when you purchase a, a condominium or any tort, sort of association home, you get 10 days in which to review those documents. Once you get all of the documents, it's 10 days. So if you just give them the resale disclosure statement, you don't give them the declarations or the rules and regulations, Mm -hmm. 10 days don't start until they have everything. So if you get them everything, and typically every association has somewhere you can order them, they're not cheap. You know, I mean, you're $200 to $500 that you've got to spend to be able to give that information to a prospective buyer Mm -hmm. so they can look over 10 days. Now, you can waive that. The buyer can waive that. Back to three days. So they have to at least look at it for three days. So if you don't get all those association documents right. to someone, you know, before closing or three days before closing, can't close. Well, give me some, you know, good practices for an example. Like, Chris, before you would list that house, I would have that done ahead of time. Smart so I, Yeah, have it on hand and have it on site. Um, I typically, they're only good for six months. And so if you think it's going to be a longer period, you know, you have to kind of redo them. And so that's why people don't. You know, it's just like a septic and well disclosure. Usually should do that ahead of time. But, hey, if it doesn't sell, do right. I have to do it? And I'd have to spell 500 bucks. Well, and I think for that yeah. person looking for that quicker closing, this would allow you to have things expedited versus you saying, do hurry up, up and wait. You know, If you're committed to selling, let's sell. I'll tell you what. We have another half hour of the show to go. We'll take this uh, break. Good morning. Welcome back to The Real Estate Show. If you happen to have that kind of a question, call it in or text it in. Same number, 651 989 9226. Chris and Andy, one just came in. Text that is, uh, if you have had mold but it's been taken care of, is it harder to sell that home? I know you have to disclose this. Correct. You do have to disclose it, but uh, if you've remedied it, I mean, I don't, every home has some sort of mold or has had mold. Um, but there's some that uh, remediation. We just we just had one, and uh, they came in and said, hey, there's real mold. So we have dead remediators come in there. And they cleaned it all up, actually did uh, new landscaping and put a sump pump in to be able to make sure that didn't happen again. Well, and I think, you know, Chris, you and I both have had that happen where customers have had this issue. As long as you disclose everything and you're crystal clear as to what happened, what was done to fix it, and how long you've had it where that has not come back, most buyers will feel comfortable. Like like you just said, most real estate agents are reasonable enough to understand and, and the how houses work, and they'll explain that to their clients so that they're not going to – blow up over something like that. Tell you what worries them more on disclosure statements is when there's not stuff on it. Yeah. Because things happen, you know, and it's like just disclose them. And if you can say, hey, how you've remedied them and you haven't had a problem since, mm-hmm. now it's up to the buyer to make that decision. But, uh, you know, if you've remedied it right and you did it the, the right way, if you did it, you know, by yourself, then, you know, that it takes a little more. Well, but at least the inspector then right. will be able to say, okay, hey, I know where this area is. Go check it Well, out. and I think a lot of people, too, instantly call things mold when they're maybe just mildew or they're biomaterial um, where moisture is congregating. It, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's definitions of what actually mold is. I don't want to get into that. I'm not a mold expert. But what I would do is I would take a hard look at what Chris just said. And if you do think that you have a problem that, you know, you need to take care of, like actually I was listening with uh, earlier today with uh, Andy Lindis, and they were mm-hmm. talking with a gentleman about his bathroom having 
moisture and, and potentially, you know, mold on the ceiling. That's more common than you realize when bathrooms don't have, like, let's say they renovate Generation. them and they don't put the, yep, they don't put the fans back in there. That's actually a more common problem than most people realize. But it's a lot of people don't run their fans when they're taking right. a shower or open a window or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you just got to let that moisture get out of there. You can't just let it sit in there and be steamy and have nowhere to go. It's it's got to you know make sense. Yep. How about uh, how about a little update on uh, home showings? If your house is listed, and what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing. Obviously, in the fall here, um, and it starts getting colder, the houses are starting to close up, but maybe. Uh, smells are a little more prevalent. Oh, for sure. I think that that's one of my number one things that stopped me in my tracks. You walk into a house, and usually it's those little kitty cats that'll stop mm. you, or that you know that uh, the box, the what are they, litter boxes or whatever that you can smell. So I would spend the time to you know maybe even ask a friend you know before you list, including your agent or whoever, and just ask them honestly. Come in and do you smell anything in the house? Do you have or let's say you like to you know fry fish or your whatever your thing is, right? And you have those. You get used to it, and it becomes, you know, the way it is, and it, you don't even notice it. But people coming in may be, like, turned off by that. So what you want to do is obviously make your house as neutral as you can to be attractive to as many people as possible. That's right. And the other thing is is we, we constantly have leaves blowing around right now. Mm-hmm. But if you do have a showing, you want to get that as clean as much as you possibly can. Because what it does, especially when you have a house that has mm-hmm. a bunch of trees, yes, that's a great thing until it comes fall. And then it becomes maintenance. And so you just don't want to let them think of that. (laughs) That, I mean, that's the first thing they think about. Oh, my gosh, look at all these trees. They don't think about privacy. They think about how much we're going to have to rake in the fall. uh, Kind of a cute story. A few years ago, I had a retired gentleman that we were selling his house, and he would call. He said, I just can't handle these leaves, Andy. He goes, you know, I almost want to wait to list my house till all the leaves are gone. And we're out there, and we're doing our paperwork, and we're signing up the listing, and we're sitting there, and, he looks out the window and goes, geez, look at all those leaves out there. There were six leaves in his yard. This guy, yeah. <laughs> he was so meticulous. I loved him. I'm like, you're the best customer I've ever had. And uh, But that was bothersome to him. you know. So you're a thousand percent right, Chris. When somebody moves in and they want that shade for maybe the efficiencies in the summer with you know AC not running as much or whatever, but in the fall, that can become a big project for a lot of people for about a month straight. You know, how about uh, how important is a garage and how it looks to a sale? What, what, oh, super important. Even f- from the exterior, it's part of the biggest part of your curb appeal. And uh, you have a nice big dent in there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help. But, I mean, redoing garage doors, I'm big on that. I, I try to get people to do that a lot. you price them, though? They are yeah. ridiculous in price right now. I mean, garage doors are thousands of dollars. The real fancy I had no idea. Ones are, I, and I'm in the yeah. business, and I'm just like sitting there thinking they're, you know, five, six hundred bucks. No, they're oh, no thousands way. of dollars. But what about the well, interior? Good ones. I mean, well, yeah. to, to moving junk out. Oh, for so sure. Oh, you, your lighter level. Yeah, for sure. You want to make sure they appreciate how big your garage is. Yeah. So usually, if you can see the perimeter, you know, at least at the sight lines, you know, where they can see, wow, look at how big this is. You know, even if you have your stuff in there, because I, I get it. We've had a lot of situations where people just have nowhere to go with their stuff. Sure. And a lot of times the garage becomes that location, which this time of year, be careful because mice like to also burrow into your stuff that's in your garage. So if you're going to be moving it in and out of your house during showings, I, I But I'll tell careful. you what, it is, I, I tell people, you have to get it off site. Uh-huh. You have to. And it's imperative. Storage. Yeah. And, and for your sale, you know, because um, now let's just add on there if it's a two car garage. Yeah. You know, and you you have to pack one of the stalls. Mm-hmm. All they're going to do is look to the house and say, oh, my gosh, there's no storage inside. And then they're going to pass it up. If you don't make people think about it, you know, and eventually they will and it'll come. But if you throw it in their face and say, hey, Denny, there's no storage here. Yeah. What are you thinking about buying this yeah. for? You know, then they kind of like, okay, there's no storage here. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, but if you don't show them that, then they kind of think like, you know what? I want to become a minimalist anyways. I don't want to really put uh, a bunch of stuff in here in the two cars. It'll fit our two cars and yeah. they'll be warm. I hear that a lot from my downsizers and then they, you know, they're downsizing from, you know, 3,000, 4,000 square feet down into 1,500 and they give away half their stuff and get rid of it and they still don't have enough room for all their stuff. It's it's ridiculous how much stuff we accumulate over the years and I always say this to anybody that's thinking about downsizing. Start a couple years in advance of just thinning it out and thinning it out because if you put yourself right down to the last minute and you've got three months to get out of that house. Stress. Oh, oh it becomes one of the most stressful events you ever – mentally, just getting rid of the stuff you've accumulated is hard enough the way it is. You know, ask me. I'm the guy that keeps all the extra bolts from everything I put together in my house. I'm just yeah. like my grandpa. Yeah. Uh, anyway. The other thing is is that if, if you've got a two-car garage in a price range that you're competing against three-car garages mm-hmm. – you know, and rather than adding on another third stall, because you probably don't have room on the lot, put up a shed. Mm-hmm. Put up a little shed that you can get the lawnmower and the bikes in there, and then they'll they'll use that to justify the two-car garage. Yeah. And it's not going to cost you a ton, but I'm telling you that, I mean, sometimes on, I mean, now with our searches, mm-hmm. people say, you know what, hey, I want a three-car or a three-plus garage, and it won't ever show up. Right. But if you've got a really cute house and everything is equal to the one that's got a three-car, Throw in a shed because that'll help justify. Well, it does, and it gets everything out of there. I mean, I think, or you designate the shed as being your tool shed, so you have your riding lawnmower, your lawnmowers, your snowblowers, your whatever else you want out there, and then that gets it out of the garage as well. Which sometimes can take the smell of gasoline out of the garage and make it oh nice yeah and clean exactly. We got a, a text. Yeah. You want to grab that? It's, 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 it says is October the best month for selling real estate. If you would listen to me in September, it would have been yes. I really like the fall. Uh, it's been it's been mm-hmm. really good, and we and we are getting sales. But it, it this like the I don't know the beginning of October was good, kind of the the middle, and now we're starting to see some well, life again. Yeah. Well, it's November though. I think so. a lot of people just listen to you, Chris, and they got their houses on the market. So they. Uh... I know I did. <laughs> I talked to some people into listing it for sure, but uh, you know you can't. You can't control, right. you know, what the market is going to do. Um, but typically in the fall, it's a good time in which to list. Well, sure. And, you know, remember, guys, when you're listening to this show, we're trying to use a crystal ball to kind of give you a forecast as to where the market's going. So sometimes we're a little bit alarmist when we say things like, oh, inventory is up 15 percent. We're saying that just to let you know before you jump in the pool, this is what's happening. And so, you know, inventory, there is more inventory on the market right now, which generally will, will add to the days on market which like when we hit that six, seven months of inventory, then it does flip over to what they call a buyer's market from a seller's market. And so it, you know, it kind of is that window. We're, we're creeping up on that because of the amount of inventory. But what's interesting is it's what we have not run the stats on. So those of you that listen every week, what are the price ranges of the houses coming on the market? And what are the price ranges of the houses that are sitting on the market? Because when somebody says they're selling their house, I always say, what price range, what city? Because it's completely different market conditions in every city, hence the need for a local real estate expert needs to and, and it flips. Yeah. And it flips because it, it, it comes and goes and you get rushes on certain price ranges. And yep. then if you can you know jump into it, it's great. I think this one's interesting. Do you sell in other states? Are there different requirements? And there is 100% different requirements and you'd have to be licensed in each state. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be able to sell real estate. As so, an agent. And a yeah. lot of agents are dual licensed, you know, here Wisconsin. in Florida or Wisconsin or yeah. Arizona and Minnesota. So we've got a couple guys on our teams that actually we refer out to that are in both states. So You you go to various conventions and meetings. Uh, yeah. Are there any drastic differences with uh, from real estate agents that you've met across the country? Um, what they have to 
uh, say or not say or uh, I suppose it's typical they can't give legal or tax advice. I, Is that true all across the country? I think I would uh, – yeah, I would – I think I look at Minnesota and I think we're a lot more advanced than most. I think oh, we yeah. have – from paperwork to – Cooperation. Yeah, I think it's uh, a lot better. I mean you go out to some of the small towns, they won't work with other realtors. You know, they don't even have MLS systems. And I think the other thing that's interesting is in a lot of the other states, there's tons of companies. You know, and we have a lot here, but you, you kind of look at Remax, Edina, Coldwell, Keller Williams, um, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of dominate. And in a lot of other places, it's a lot of individual companies. Yeah, smaller mom and pop kind of boutique yep. shops. Hey, what? Let's do this. Let's take our break. And uh, we come back. We'll, uh, again, invite our listeners to join in on the conversation. If you have a real estate question, send it in via text or call. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. Good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our real estate show. If you have a real estate type of question, call it in or text it in, 651-989-9226. That number applies to both uh, calls and texts. A, a text, uh, I want to ask you about uh, get, getting ready for our showings. Yeah, But uh, the text just came in. Please discuss the use of dual agency pros and cons. What is mm-hmm. dual agency? Well, what is dual agency is that if uh, uh, the same company represents the buyer and the seller. It's not necessarily the same agent, but it's the same company. So think if- of, I would say, Denny, think of an umbrella and having a brokerage where there's an umbrella and it covers all the different agents that are underneath it. So even with, like what Chris said there, you're doing the same transaction with the same agent. It's dual agency, you know, if you have two sides represented, but it's also... If another broker, even from across town, that's represented by the same brokerage, is also considered dual agency because the broker is ultimately the one that protects everybody. Okay. And I think the best way to explain it is that we can't discuss price terms or motivation on either buddy's part unless otherwise instructed by that client. Mm -hmm. So if a house is listed at $400,000 and a a buyer comes through in an open house and says, hey, I want to buy it. I don't have a realtor. I want to buy it through you. Okay, it's dual agency. And uh, the realtor all of a sudden, you know, maybe they talked when they were with the seller. They were talking, hey, you know what? We'll list it at 400 but gosh, we would take 360 for it all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, you can't go to the buyer and say, hey, just write it for 360 because they'll take it. We, I mean, unless the seller instructed us to do that. Right. And so you just can't do that. And I think, I think what's interesting about dual agency is that people think they um, get lesser representation. But if you really, if right. you really look at the whole thing. I mean, if you're representing a buyer and you're coming from Champlin and you come down to Prior Lake and write an offer on that house, you don't you, – I mean, obviously you know, I mean, hey, is, is it worth it? But you don't know the motivation of that seller. Right. Nobody nobody knows that motivation of the seller. Well, I think that, you know, what it, it comes down to, too, you guys, is – It's harder, too. It's way harder to be dual agent than it is when you When you have an agent that you've hired, you have to trust that agent because that agent obviously is the, the caretaker of that information – you know, all of their fiduciary responsibilities that they have to you as a client are, are protected with, with our contracts and everything else. When they break that, they're not being a good realtor. They should be fired. I mean, that's where we're not doing our job. They should be taken out of the equation. But it does give people the interpretation that there could be misleading activities. And that's where in a lot of states, dual agency is not legal. It still is here in Minnesota. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where I always say this. When you have a, a listing that's yours and somebody comes in and wants to buy it, they just really don't get a lot of help because, you know, other than saying, hey, I can run a market, I can write the paperwork up for you, there's the services that are there. But when it comes to the opinion, um, it's we'd love to receive asking price. We'd love to receive whatever. So 
it's not a opportunity to save money as a lot of people I think have the false illusion that it does. Yeah. It's more of a pain in the you know what for both sides of the transaction. Interesting. Okay, what is the most successful media in selling a house? Is Facebook a good one? What do you think, Andy? I got my answer. So I'm going to say it depends because there's a Facebook can be fantastic when you're um, teasing something that's coming soon. I think it works really well. It's a it's a great uh, a lot of people that want to see the movie before it opens kind of a concept. It works really well when properties now are listed. I think that it kind of falls down the tier quite a few um, brackets. But yeah, how about you? Okay, I think I I believe the best is what you actually put on the MLS. Because that's what's getting syndicated out to every single website that's out there. Mm-hmm. Now, Facebook, I, I look at Facebook, and it's creating lifestyle. And you could sell that house multiple different ways. And so let's just say that there was a, a, a wonderful little apartment down in the basement. You could maybe uh, go after a certain um, clientele that's looking for a mother-in-law apartment. Mm-hmm. You could say, hey, go after someone that's looking for an at-home office. You know, So you can kind of... Go after certain segments if you want. But I'm mm-hmm. telling you what, I mean, everyone talks about the MLS, and and I think realtors in a way kind of say, oh, it's, yeah, we got the MLS, but, boy, we'll do this, this, this for you. But to me, I think that's what you put on the MLS. Sometimes the MLS is mm-hmm. not good. I know you have some – you kind of go against me on that. No. Uh, in a well, little. It, in a it, little it, way. it depends. Now, Chris, assuming that every customer wants to list their house at a it'll sell price versus the I want to list it price. So that being said, the listed price is what they think they need because, you know, of what they want versus what the market will pay. Those customers a lot of times in, in um, when somebody tries to overprice a house, I think the MLS can work against you because it shows days on market. It shows all your price reductions. And so all of a sudden the tool that's really an asset for all of us in the real estate industry can be used against you. And in the sense that they'll use that to negotiate saying, hey, you've been on the market 97 days, you know, obviously something's wrong. And so I, I struggle with that. So when I have a property that I think that we want to test the market a little bit, I think some of the pre-MLS um, marketing systems that are out there are fantastic to put your foot in the water, test it, see how it goes. And when I do that, just as for crystal clear, everybody listening, I pay full commissions the entire time from the day I sign that agreement sure. until I sell it. I, I never do it to cut anybody out of the transaction. I do it as an opportunity to enhance my customer's sale. Yeah. Do solar system increase saleability of a home? I think – they don't hurt as much as they used to. I think before it used <laughs> yeah. to be, uh, I mean, you get I'll that thing off there, off. yeah, no, and then yeah. I'll do it. And I think they were big and bulky. Um, well, it used to be like when it changes. was cool to have satellite dish and they were eight-foot bowls in your front yard. <laughs> For a little while, it was cool. They're good <laughs> hammocks now. Yeah. Or yeah. something like that. Salad bowl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> six five. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. That's the text number. That's the phone number. Let's talk a little bit. I know we have a couple of minutes left or so about uh, getting the home ready for showing. Yeah, and I think we're kind of really concentrating here on fall. Uh, a big thing is lighting um, because it's getting a little darker out, and obviously it gets dark uh, stays darker sooner and later. Isn't that tomorrow? Yeah, overnight yeah, tonight. Yeah, yeah tonight. Okay. set your yeah. clocks back yeah. one hour. But here, I think here's another thing for people that have their houses on the market is that everyone turns on all the lights and makes it look pretty and everything, and then they make sure to tell the realtor turn them all off when you leave. Well, you just did the opposite effect that you're trying to do when they first came. Right. You know, um, I like to turn them off because I like people to see it. You know, in in the dark too, or not would not the you know, with lights on just because I think it just gives it a different feel. But I mean, you can tell them, don't make them turn the lights off. 
Right. It'll only help your house if the, if that's the way they leave it. And when you look out and when you're leaving and you see it all lit up, it just looks a lot more alive. Yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think that habits are habits. People go into rooms and as they leave, a lot of times they'll flip the switch and they don't even realize they're doing it. But it's a yeah, you know the uh, when you have multiple showings, it is it is a case of where you almost have to tell people please leave the lights on. Uh, we have multiple showings, which also is a secret little motivator, by the way, tip yeah. of the day. Yeah. Um, the, the the other thing I was going to say, that, like setting your house up where it really feels like you're having a dinner party where I always say, you know, people are coming over. Have it where the lights aren't super bright. Have more they're, you know, engaging. You have, you know, your your little decorative area set up. Maybe you have your wine and cheese set up for somebody or a snack for somebody. That's something else that I think that we don't realize is that nowadays people are struggling. They come home from work. They've got the kids. Everybody's hungry and ornery, and they're trying to show a house, for example. Having little snack, little beverage of some kind out there is a fantastic way to get them to slow down for a couple seconds and actually absorb your house as well. It's a technique that we've used for years, and it, and we get thank you notes all the time. Thanks for the oh, yeah. cookies. Thanks for the water. Thanks for the wine. That's yep. neat. Yep. Dave, well, I think we have time for a quick call. Todd in Champlin is uh, is on CCO. Go ahead, Todd. Yeah, good morning, you guys. I got a question. When you apply for a loan... You talk to a mortgage banker, they send you an email with a loan application, and all of a sudden they unlock your credit and you get a massive amount of information sent to you via email. And they got your email and they got everything locked in, and it pretty much exposes you to all the different things that are going on out there. And, you know, I get Quicken loans, I get all kinds of different ideas, I get all kinds of different things, and I'm flooded with an email. And I just wanted to listen to you guys what that is all about because they ask some very specific questions, kind of like buying a car. And indirectly, it's really none of their business until you sit down and you really figure out. But at the same time, you fill out an application, they run your credit, and then all of a sudden you're flooded with information. You want to comment? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Todd. Thank you for the call. What do you guys think of Todd's comment? I agree. I think that, the, you know, the privacy acts that are out there, you know, you want to make sure that when you're running your credit with somebody, you're picking a reliable source. I think that, you know, like I have a couple of my lenders that are very protective of the client's information. And I think what's also happening there, too, is that anytime there's something that triggers at a county level or if there's a on your actual uh, credit ratings and or whatever, there's things that will trigger that make people call. like for an example other people a death in the family for an example all of a sudden there's probate courts whatever people will start sending information asking you you know should we sell your house can we buy your house can we you know and that's what happens it's just public record whenever your stuff can be put on a public record you're subjective to the people that the ambulance chasers kind of <laughs> yeah as they say that's yeah, too bad it is too bad well we got about a minute minute and a half to go uh, any other uh, tips for uh sh- home showing how about leaving pets out oh yeah only if they to bite. A, to attack. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people, they'll leave cats that they don't think they are. But yeah. I'll tell you, it's best to have all pets out. That mm-hmm. includes, that to me, that includes turtles and snakes and hamsters and all of that stuff. Just because, I mean, not because maybe someone might be offended by them, but they'll take, I mean, oh, I, love, I love hamsters, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're checking out the hamster rather than looking at the fireplace. Yeah, you know? I, I agree. Yeah. A thousand percent. Well, good. All right, you got time for <laughs> I was going to have to argue that one. Well, no, I think that there's a lot of things that we can do. You know, the um, the other thing, you know, use your neighbors too. So if you do have neighbors that are nice and they want to take care of some of those animals for you, you you set up a plan. You know, I used to have the what I said, the basket where we run around and grab the few little things, the socks, the whatever they're on the stairs. You yep. grab and you grab the basket and you take that with you in the car. When you get back home, you can dump it on the floor again where it was. But it was, you know, coming up with a plan so that when that showing comes in quick and fast, you're ready. That's why it's even more important to do it right from the beginning because having right. showings is a pain. Yeah, and it's right. not fun. Yeah. Well, on that note, 
Let's invite our listeners to join us again next week. Uh, how do we get in touch with you guys individually or collectively? Well, we have andyandrooney.com. We have a couple open houses on there, some pre-list stuff and some listed stuff that's open this weekend. There's uh, about a dozen open houses that we're doing. So okay, come on out and check it out. Andyandrooney.com. And uh, I hope to see you uh, back here next week. So do we. When you say, <laughs> Very good. Nice. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.